Chapter Two of Lives of Poor Boys Who Became Famous. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Lives of Poor Boys Who Became Famous by Sarah Knowles Bolton. Chapter Two Bayard Taylor. Since Samuel Johnson toiled in Grub Street, London, literature has scarcely furnished a more pathetic or inspiring illustration of struggle to success than that of Bayard Taylor. Born of Quaker parentage in the little town of Kennett Square near Philadelphia, January 11, 1825, he grew to boyhood in the midst of fresh air and the hard work of farm life his mother a refined and intelligent woman who taught him to read at four and who early discovered her child's love for books shielded him as far as possible from picking up stones and weeding corn and set him to rocking the baby to sleep what was her amazement one day on hearing loud cries from the infant to find bayard absorbed in reading and rocking his own chair furiously supposing it to be the cradle it was evident that though such a boy might become a fine literary man he could not be a successful baby tender he was especially eager to read poetry and travels and before he was twelve years old had devoured the contents of their small circulating library as well as cooper's novels and the histories of gibbon robertson and hume the few books which he owned were bought with money earned by selling nuts which he had gathered he read milton scott byron and wordsworth and his mother would often hear him repeating poetry to his brother after they had gone to bed he was always planning journeys in europe which seemed very far from being realized at fourteen he began to study latin and french and at fifteen spanish and a year later he assisted in teaching at the academy where he was attending school he was ambitious but there seemed no open door there is never an open door to fame or prosperity except we open it for ourselves the world is too busy to help others and assistance usually weakens rather than strengthens us about this time he received through request an autograph from charles dickens then lecturing in this country the boy of sixteen wrote in his journal it was not without a feeling of ambition that i looked upon it that as he a humble clerk had risen to be the guest of a mighty nation so i a humble pedagogue might by unremitted and arduous intellectual and moral exertion become a light a star among the names of my country may it be i believe all poets are possessed in a greater or less degree of ambition i think this is never given without a mind of sufficient power to sustain it and to achieve its lofty object at seventeen bayard's schooling was over he sketched well and would gladly have gone to philadelphia to study engraving but he had no money one poem had been published in the saturday evening post those only who have seen their first poem in print can experience his joy. But writing poetry could not earn him a living. He had no liking for teaching, but as that seemed the only thing at hand, he would try to obtain a school. 
he did not succeed however and apprenticed himself for four years to a printer he worked faithfully using all his spare hours in reading and writing poetry two years later he walked to philadelphia and back thirty miles each way to see if fifteen of his poems could not be printed in a book his ambition evidently had not abated of course no publisher would take the book at his own risk there was no way of securing its publication therefore but to visit his friends and solicit them to buy copies in advance this was a trying matter for a refined nature but it was a necessity he hoped thus to earn a little money for travel and to win a name that the person who shall be chosen to share with me the toils of life will not be ashamed to own this person was mary agnew whose love and that of bayard taylor form one of the saddest and tenderest pictures in our literature at last the penniless printer boy had determined to see europe for two years he had read everything he could find upon travels abroad his good mother mourned over the matter and his acquaintances prophesied dire results from such a roving disposition he would go again to philadelphia and see if the newspapers did not wish correspondence from europe all the editors politely declined the ardent boy's proposals probably he did not know that unknown writers are not wanted about to return home not in despair he afterwards wrote but in a state of wonder as to where my funds would come from for i felt certain they would come the editor of the saturday evening post offered him four dollars a letter for twelve letters fifty dollars with the promise of taking more if they were satisfactory the united states gazette made a similar offer and after selling a few manuscript poems which he had with him he returned home in triumph with a hundred and fifty dollars in his pocket this he says seemed sufficient to carry me to the end of the world immediately bayard and his cousin started on foot for washington a hundred miles away to see the member of congress from their district and obtain passports from him reaching a little village on their way thither they were refused lodgings at the tavern because of the lateness of the hour nine o'clock and walked on till near midnight then seeing a house brilliantly lighted as for a wedding they approached and asked the proprietor whether a tavern were near by the man addressed turned fiercely upon the lads shouting begone leave the place instantly do you hear off the amazed boys hastened away and at three o'clock in the morning footsore and faint after a walk of nearly forty miles slept in a cart standing beside an old farmhouse and now at nineteen he was in new york ready for europe he called upon the author n p willis who had once written a kind note to him and this gentleman with a ready nature in helping others alas not always found among writers gave him several letters of introduction to newspaper men mr greeley said bluntly when applied to i am sick of descriptive letters and will have no more of them but i should like some sketches of german life and society after you have been there and know something about it if the letters are good you shall be paid for them but don't write until you know something july first eighteen forty four bayard and two young friends after paying ten dollars each for steerage passage 
started out for this eventful voyage. No wonder that as land faded from sight, and he thought of gentle Mary Agnew and his devoted mother, his heart failed him, and he quite broke down. After twenty-eight days they landed in Liverpool, strangers, poor, knowing almost nothing of the world, but full of hope and enthusiasm. They spent three weeks in Scotland in the north of England, and then traveled through Belgium to Heidelberg. Bayard passed the first winter in Frankfurt, in the plainest quarters, and then, with his knapsack on his back, visited Leipzig, Dresden, Prague, Vienna, and Munich. After this, he walked over the Alps and through northern Italy, spending four months in Florence and then visiting Rome. Often he was so poor that he lived on twenty cents a day. Sometimes he was without food for nearly two days, writing his natural and graphic letters when his ragged clothes were wet through and his body faint from fasting. But the manly, enthusiastic youth always made friends by his good cheer and unselfishness. At last he was in London, with but thirty cents to buy food and lodging. But he had a poem of twelve hundred lines in his knapsack, which he supposed any London publisher would be glad to accept. He offered it, but it was declined with thanks. The youth had not learned that Bayard Taylor unknown, and Bayard Taylor famous in two hemispheres, were two different names upon the title page of a book. Publishers cannot usually afford to do missionary work in their business. They print what they sell. Weak from seasickness, he says, hungry, chilled, and without a single acquaintance in the great city, my situation was about as hopeless as it is possible to conceive. Possibly he could obtain work in a printer's shop. This he tried hour after hour, and failed. Finally, he spent his last tuppence for bread and found a place to sleep in a third-rate chop-house, among sailors and actors from the lower theaters. He rose early so as not to be asked to pay for his bed and again sought work. Fortunately, he met an American publisher who loaned him five dollars, and with a thankful heart he returned to pay for his lodging. For six weeks he stayed in his humble quarters, wrote letters home to the newspapers, and also sent various poems to the English journals, which were all returned to him. For two years he supported himself on $250 a year, earning it all by writing. I saw, he says, almost nothing of intelligent European society, but literature and art were nevertheless open to me, and a new day had dawned in my life. On his return to America, he found that his published letters had been widely read. He was advised to put them in a book, and views afoot, with a preface by N. P. Willis, were soon given to the world. Six editions were sold the first year, and the boy who had seen Europe in the midst of so much privation found himself an author with the prospect of fame. Not alone had poverty made these two years hard to bear, he was allowed to hold no correspondence with Mary Agnew, because her parents steadily refused to countenance the young lovers. He had wisely made his mother his confidant, and she had counseled patience and hope. The rising fame possibly smoothed the course for true love, 
for at twenty-one bayard became engaged to the idol of his heart she was an intelligent and beautiful girl with dark eyes and soft brown hair and to the ardent young traveller seemed more angel than human he showed her his every poem and laid before her every purpose he wrote her i have often dim vague forebodings that an eventful destiny is in store for me and then he added in quaint quaker dialect i have told thee that existence would not be endurable without thee i feel further that thy aid will be necessary to work out the destinies of the future i am really glad that thou art pleased with my poetry one word from thee is dearer to me than the cold praise of all the critics in the land for the year following his return home he edited a country paper and thereby became involved in debts which required the labors of the next three years to cancel he now decided to go to new york if possible where there would naturally be more literary society and openings for a writer he wrote to editors and publishers but there were no vacancies to be filled finally he was offered enough to pay his board by translating and this he gladly accepted by teaching literature in a young lady's school he increased his income to nine dollars a week not a luxurious amount surely for a year he struggled on saving every cent possible and then mr greeley gave him a place on the tribune at twelve dollars a week he worked constantly often writing poetry at midnight when his day's duties were over he made true friends such as stedman and stoddard published a new book of poems and in the beginning of eighteen forty nine life began to look full of promise sent by his paper to write up california for six months he lived in the open air his saddle for his pillow and on his return wrote his charming book el dorado he was now twenty-five out of debt and ready to marry mary agnew but a dreadful cloud had meantime gathered and burst over their heads the beautiful girl had been stricken with consumption the may-day bridal had been postponed god help me if i lose her wrote the young author to mr stoddard from her bedside october twenty fourth came and the dying girl was wedded to the man she loved four days later he wrote we have had some heart-breaking hours talking of what is before us and are both better and calmer for it and later still she is radiantly beautiful but it is not the beauty of earth we have loved so long so intimately and so wholly that the footsteps of her life have forever left their traces in mine if my name should be remembered among men hers will not be forgotten december twenty first eighteen fifty she went beyond and bayard taylor at twenty six was alone in the world benumbed unfitted for work of any kind i am not my true self more than half the time i cannot work with any spirit another such winter will kill me i am certain i shall leave next fall on a journey somewhere no matter where he wrote a friend fortunately he took a trip to the far east travelling in egypt asia minor india and japan for two years 
writing letters which made him known the country over on his return he published three books of travel and accepted numerous calls in the lecture field his stock in the tribune had become productive and he was gaining great success his next long journey was to northern europe when he took his brother and two sisters with him as he could enjoy nothing selfishly this time he saw much of the brownings and thackeray and spent two days as the guest of tennyson he was no longer the penniless youth vainly looking for work in london to pay his lodging but the well-known traveller lecturer and poet october twenty seventh eighteen fifty seven seven years after the death of mary agnew he married the daughter of a distinguished german astronomer marie hansen a lady of great culture whose companionship has ever proved a blessing tired of travel mr taylor now longed for a home for his wife and infant daughter lillian he would erect on the old homestead where he played when a boy such a house as a poet would love to dwell in and such as poet friends would delight to visit so with minutest care and thought cedarcroft a beautiful structure was built in the midst of two hundred acres every flower every tree was planted with as much love as scott gave to abbotsford but when it was completed the old story had been told again of expenses going far beyond expectations and instead of anticipated rest toil and struggle to pay debts and provide for constant outgoes but bayard taylor was not the man to be disturbed by obstacles he at once set to work to earn more than ever by his books and lectures with his characteristic generosity he brought his parents and his sisters to live in his home and made everybody welcome to his hospitality the poet's journal a poem of exquisite tenderness was written here and hannah thurston a novel of which fifteen thousand were soon sold shortly after the beginning of our civil war mr taylor was made secretary of legation at russia he was now forty years of age loved well-to-do and famous his novels john godfrey's fortunes and the story of kenneth were both successful the picture of st john rich and stronger than his other poems added to his fame but the gifted and versatile man was breaking in health again he travelled abroad and wrote byways in europe on his return he translated with great care and study faust which will always be a monument to his learning and literary skill he published lars a norway pastoral and gave delightful lectures on german literature at cornell university and lowell and peabody institutes at boston and baltimore at last he wearied of the care and constant expense of cedarcroft he needed to be near the new york libraries mr greeley had died his newspaper stock had declined and he could not sell his home as he had hoped there was no alternative but to go back in eighteen seventy one into the daily work of journalism in the tribune office the rest which he had longed for was never to come for four years he worked untiringly delivering the centennial ode at our exposition and often speaking before learned societies in eighteen seventy eight president hayes bestowed upon him a well-deserved honor 
by appointing him minister to berlin germany rejoiced that a lover of her life and literature had been sent to her borders the best of new york gathered to say good-bye to the noted author arriving in berlin emperor william gave him cordial welcome and bismarck made him a friend a pleasant residence was secured and furniture purchased at last he was to find time to complete a long-desired work the lives of goethe and schiller prince deucalion his last noble poem had just reached him all was ready for the best and strongest work of his life when lo the overworked brain and body gave way he did not murmur only once december nineteenth he groaned i want i want oh you know what i mean that stuff of life it was too late at fifty-three the great heart the exquisite brain the tired body were still dead he lay among his books the peace of god was in his looks germany as well as america wept over the bier of the once poor quaker lad who travelled over europe with scarce a shilling in his pocket now by his own energy brought to one of the highest positions in the gift of his country december twenty second the great of germany gathered about his coffin bertold auerbach speaking beautiful words march thirteenth eighteen seventy nine the dead poet lay in state in the city hall of new york in the midst of assembled thousands the following day the body was borne to cedarcroft and surrounded by literary associates and tender friends laid to rest public memorial meetings were held in various cities where holmes longfellow whittier and others gave their loving tributes a devoted student a successful diplomat a true friend a noble poet a gifted traveller a man whose life will never cease to be an inspiration End of chapter 2. Recording by Mary Schneider.